Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Today's Focus podcast series for Wednesday, February the 1st, 2023 at 9.58 p.m. Central Time. Sometimes one Today's Focus broadcast is not enough. Sometimes our our focus takes us in different directions, but by the end of the day, I, I can't speak for you. I can't speak for you. But for me, a lot of times when I do a Today's Focus broadcast where I'm giving everyone one thing to focus on, when I get to the end of the day, I get to the, to, you know, it's night, the day is coming to an end. I start thinking about maybe doing other things, maybe even possibly sleep on the rare occasions I do that. I, I a lot of times find myself, man, you remember that today's focus that you did around 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. noon? Do you remember that? Man, I, I, I you know, I, I'm, this is me having a conversation with myself. I'll be like, man, I, I'm not sure I, I really have explored that topic enough, right? Or I don't know if I have a conclusion or, or I don't really know what my final thoughts on this, I, I don't really know what they are. I, I don't know yet how to put this to rest or, you know, pun intended, to put this to bed, even though I may not be getting in bed. How can I put that today's focus to bed? Well, I can't put today's focus to bed yet. I, I just feel like there's more to talk about. There's more to say. And the reason why is about, I don't know, 30 minutes ago, I was looking at a devotional called Comfort for Christians. Comfort for Christians. And I, when I was reading the devotional, I'm like, well, this, I think, I think this kind of connects. I, I think there's a connection. And I love when the different programs come together. So let me explain what we did. Earlier, earlier, I, well, I won't see, early, maybe we, what time did I do that episode? Maybe it was around noon. So maybe it wasn't super early, but sometime today, I did a Today's Focus episode on Draw Me Closer, a song by Michael W. Smith, right? Draw Me Closer. And in this song, Michael W. Smith says things like, God, you're all I need. You're all I want. You're everything. And I I basically asked the question, I really kind of challenged that concept that that's a Christianity that we kind of sell, come to Jesus and you'll have everything you need, everything you want. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. You'll be satisfied. You'll be content. Everything will be wonderful. That's the Christianity we sell. Then there's the Christianity we pretend to have. We pretend that that's true. Or maybe deep down we know it's not true, but we lift our hands and praise and worship songs saying, yes, God, you're all that I want. You're all that I need. You satisfy me completely. And 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 maybe because we know that's not really true, but we want it to be true. Maybe that's what we're doing. But there's the Christianity we, in a sense, we sell. I call it the info commercial Christianity. There's the Christianity we pretend, and then there's reality. And I think the reality is God is not all that we need because we need this and this and this and this. God is not all that we want because we want this, this, and this. And we still hunger and we still thirst for so many things. And the words of you too, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Maybe, maybe that's a more realistic song. And so I think sometimes as Christians, we, we say these things, but we know they're not true. And I, and I wasn't attacking Michael W. Smith, but I, I, I find it somewhat interesting 
Someone is, you know, creates a praise song about God, you're all I need, you're all I want, when he has $14 million, a wife, and five kids. It sounds like you have lots of other things that you want that brings you comfort, that brings you peace, that brings you security, that gives you the ability to have way more than your needs, but far probably uh, uh, things that uh, the rest of us would look at and go, man, I wish I had $14 million. I wish I had that house. I wish I had that property. I wish I had that car. I wish that, you know, whatever the case may be. So is it is, is it easy to say, Lord, you're all that I want. You're all that I need. When you have $14 million or you're worth $14 million, how much exactly he has in the bank, I don't know. But the point is, if you're worth $14 million, you have fame, you have influence, you have a level of power and respect. Is it easy to say, Lord, you're all that I want and you're all that I need. And so we, and I've wrestled with that all day. And then we, we, we ended up going from that to talking about the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It is well with my soul. And I did an episode called It Isn't Well With My Soul because what we discovered is the person who wrote that hymn who says it is well with my soul at some point in the 1880s had a mental health breakdown and started thinking he was the second messiah. So maybe things weren't so well with my soul. And once again, I called into question Maybe as Christians, we need to be more transparent. And instead of pretending that everything is wonderful, that everything is well with my soul, that everything is great, that we are more willing to confess things are not well, things are not good, and be more transparent. Again, I would compare. In fact, I probably, maybe tomorrow we'll do that for today's focus. I, I want you to compare Draw Me Closer by Michael W. Smith Compare that. So compare uh, it. Uh, Draw me closer by Michael W. Smith. It is well with my soul. Compare those two songs with or against. I still haven't found what I'm looking for by you too. I mean, I I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There's still something. He feels still like something is missing. Now we would listen to you two and go, how dare you sing that? Because if you have Jesus, you have everything you're looking for. You have everything you need. But that's so easy to say when you look around and go, yeah, you think you've got this and you've got this and you've got, are you sure? Now what happens if all of that was taken away? And you can connect this back to earlier broadcast where I did one on uh, the hierarchy of needs, Marlowe's hierarchy of needs. And I said, and I asked, what would you do if all of those needs were stripped away? You didn't have any of that. What would you do if you woke up tomorrow and you were in complete poverty? You were completely poor and you lost everything. Now, we, if we could contrast a lot of what Christians think we're supposed to say to maybe how Job expressed himself, he seemed like he was struggling, seemed like he was in pain, and seemed like, well, he wanted to die. So I so all of these concepts I'm still struggling with. And at the same time, I pulled up the book, uh, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by, what is it, Jeremiah Burroughs, a, a, a Puritan work. And if you read what he has to say about what our con, uh, contentment, uh, did I say commitment? The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment contentment, if I said that correctly, if you read what he had to say about contentment, 
I'm telling you, you read that and you just read the very first part. I guess after you get kind of past the introduction and he really gets into his teaching, you just look at, and I looked at a little bit of it tonight and immediately was like, <laughs> come on. No, I've never, what Christians have experienced that kind of, well, that's why he calls it the rare jewel of Christian contentment, because I don't know anyone who's ever truly been that content. Okay. Because. Um, I mean, in fact, I think if you read that, you would just be like, I'm guilty, 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 I'm guilty. So how do we understand all of this? Well, I want to add to the discussion. I want to add to the discussion. And in some ways, our Colossians discussion kind of fits with all of this. Kind of just lots of things are fitting together, and I'm hoping it's sparking lots of like, sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I, I'm sitting here behind a microphone in an empty room, and I'm thinking, man, this fits together, and this fits together, and wow, this this should lead to lots of conversation and discussion. And sometimes, it, I, I, you know, I met with a resounding silence. I'm hoping that resounding silence in no way, shape, or form indicates what's happening behind the scenes. I hope people are really like, wow, not thought about this, not thought about and really are, are wrestling with some of these things because that's the whole goal of the Today's Focus podcast series, right? Is to give you something to focus on. But since I can't put this to bed yet, are you ready to just dive into this uh, commentary? Or not commentary, to dive into this devotional? I guess it's kind of like a commentary, but we'll look at it as a devotional. It's more of a devotional. And do I have the date for this devotional? Give me a second. Uh, okay, the person who wrote this devotional lived uh, between 18, he was born 1802 and he died 1862. 1802, eight, and he died 1862. His name was James Smith. And I don't know, I don't know the publication history of comfort for Christians. I don't know if these things he, he someone compiled it after his death, if he wrote it while he was still alive. I don't know. I don't have any of that information right now. I'm not really interested in doing a history on that. But The Poor Christian is a devotional entry, I think, from this work called Comfort for Christian, James Smith, 1802 to 1860, whatever. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. I just, I, 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 X, I closed out that page. But the 1800s, James Smith, and he wrote a devotional entitled The Poor Christian, The Poor Christian, The Poor Christian. And he quotes, he starts the devotional by quoting James 2, 5. James 2, 5. And I'm going to read it from two translations. One, the one from in the devotional and another one from a Bible that just happened to be closest to me. Here we go. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him from the devotional. Hearken, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Now, if we have any questions or any doubt about well, what kind of poor is he referring to? He chose the poor, poor in spirit, poor 
In other words, these are people who realize that they are bankrupt spiritually and they have nothing to bring to God but their sin. They have nothing to, that we are just beggars before a holy God. That's all we are. We are beggars. God is holy. We are sinners. We have nothing. We are poor. Is, is that the poverty that he is referring to? Like a spiritual poverty? Well, let's look at the context. James chapter two, verse one. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism. You hold on to the faith and our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also come in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit there on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Then verse five, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Then there's no question. He's talking about materially poor, material poverty. Here's someone who's poor, someone who's poor. Now, can they say, you're all I need, God? Or do they look at their poverty? How should they look at their poverty? Now, we, again, a lot of times I wish, I think we should, in theory, be able to say, Lord, you're all I need and be able to live without anything. And in, in theory, now in some ways, well, you can't be able to live without everything. But I mean, the minute we make qualifiers, then we can't say, Lord, you're all I need. Because, well, I need you, but I need that you give me this and you give me this and you give me this. The more, then we, there are qualifiers. And typically we don't say there's qualifiers. But if you are completely poor, how are we to look at that poverty? Well, let's look at what this devotional does. Here we go. They begin this way. James Smith in the 1800s begins this way. Poverty is not spirituality. Right? First, he makes kind of just a dogmatic assertion here. Now, there's a comma after that. So I'll put it all together, but we're going to take this apart. This, I'm not going to try to go too long tonight. Maybe we'll, we'll pick up this discussion tomorrow. But hey, I got a microphone in the house. I got a studio right here in the house. So if it's if it's late, later in the evening and I still am thinking about today's focus, I'm going to come back up and just still talk about it. So here we go. You ready? Here we go. Poverty is not spirituality. I think that's important. Just because someone is poor does not make them spiritual. And just because someone is rich does not necessarily mean that they are unspiritual. Being poor doesn't make you spiritual, just like being rich doesn't make you unspiritual. I think we can all agree with that, but what does he say here? Poverty is not spirituality, but sanctified poverty is a great friend to it. Sanctified poverty. Have you ever thought of that term? Sanctified poverty. Sanctified poverty. I've never heard that phrase used. Here's poverty. I'm poor. I'm absolutely in, you know, below the poverty level. I'm broke. I'm poor. I don't have this. 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 I don't have anything. 
but there's a sanctified poverty. What is a sanctified poverty? Let's see if we get any kind of clue here. Now, the sanctified poverty, according to James Smith in the 1800s, is a great friend to spirituality. It may, poverty is not spirituality, but sanctified poverty is a great friend to spirituality. In other words, if you can have, if you have poverty and it's sanctified, it can be a friend to being spiritual. Let's, let's see how he explains this. Poverty is no sin. It's not a sin to be poor, but it is sometimes a preventative to sin. Poverty isn't a sin, but sometimes poverty will prevent sin. Now, I wonder how that would work. Well, I think, you know, the more money you have, the more freedom you have, the more access you have to things maybe that you would not other way, otherwise be able to engage in because you could not afford it, right? I think that, I think there's some, I think we can all agree there that poverty in a way is a preventative to sin. Now, now that calls into question, if you have money, is your money leading you to sin? Is, is, is can you, tra- now ultimately it's your sin nature. So let's just get that out of the way. All right. But is there a direct correlation between the sin and your money? I, I, I think it's, I think it's at least a good question. Poverty has its temptations, but it also has its consolations. Now, there even is an acknowledgement here that poverty, though, can have temptation. Now, there is a proverb, I'll let you find it, that seems to say, don't let me be poor, but don't let me be rich. Because if I'm poor, I may steal, but if I'm rich, I basically may forget you. I'm paraphrasing, but you should try to find that proverb to, to just see how this all fits in to this broader discussion that we're having. The poor ought not to repine at poverty because God in his infinite wisdom has appointed it and it is able to render it the greatest blessing. Now, this is interesting. Now, let's look at the word, let's look at the word repine, right? Let's look up this word. The word is, let me, let me go to Google, repine, feel or express discontent. Oh, here we go. Feel or express discontent. So let's translate it this way. The poor ought not to feel or express discontent at poverty. So in other words, what do you think? If you're poor, you're completely, you're, you're, you're in poverty, like real poverty. You've lost everything. You should not feel or express discontentment. You shouldn't do that. And here's the reason that it is stated you shouldn't. Because God in his infinite wisdom has appointed it and is able to render it the greatest blessing. So in other words, what you should do is say, God has appointed me into poverty so I'm not going to express discontent with it. Now, is this the kind of Philippians mindset that whatever state I find myself, I've learned to be content. Should you be content with poverty? Is that the spiritual way to approach it? Hey, I'm poor. Should you dedicate everything in your power to get out of it? Or should you just embrace it? 
should you do everything you can to get out of it, but in the same, in the meantime, be content in it. Is that, is that the approach? Now I, I got no problem saying that we have to, that contentment is something we should shoot for. My problem is the pretending to be content, pretending like, like it's one thing that you're in poverty and you're like, okay, I understand the sovereignty of God. He has appointed this and whatever God appoints in my life, I will accept, I will submit to, and I will be contented with. I think I can understand acknowledging that's the attitude I'm supposed to have. My problem is, is when we're, while while striving to maintain that right mindset, we lie or pretend that we are not discontent and struggling. Like my, my problem is, yeah, it's great to say, oh, see, oh, I'm content. God, I'm better than I do. Like we throw out all the cliches. God is all I need. Say, I'm kidding. And so I sing a praise and worship song. God, you're all I need. God, I'm happy. God is, is, is uh, God is my sufficiency. He's all I want, all I need, all I hope for. I'm completely happy the way I am. It's one thing to sing that, right? And mean it. But, but in some cases we sing it like we mean it, but we're not really contented with God. We really are contented by all these other things that we have. So in that case, once again, we're not being honest, but it's, it's one thing to sing it and you know, it's not true. It's not, you know, that there's not one word you're saying that's even remotely true. That's my problem. I would rather saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm very unhappy. I'm discontented. I would rather the confession be raw and real. Not like I'm trying to put forth something that's not true. But should we not have the attitude that wherever I am in life, God has appointed it and find some level? I'm not saying that's going to make every look. look I, I have a seizure disorder and neurological issues. We, I mean, anyone who's listened to this broadcast for any length of time knows what happens to me. Military, anthrax, all the, almost die. All the things that happen to me and I still have these major, and sometimes I go through dark periods of time where I'm struggling. You know, my thinking is messed up. Every, everything is just because of the seizures and it's, it's a horrible, 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 horrible experience. At the same time, I understand God is sovereign. God has appointed it. It's, it's my, it's, I have to deal with it. But at the same time, I'm not going to pretend it all is well with my soul. Lord, you're all I want and you're all I need. As long as I have you, give me 50 seizures today. No, I'm going to express my frustration, my struggle, my irritation, sometimes my depression, sometimes my discouragement. Sometimes my anger, sometimes it bothers me. Sometimes I feel like I humiliate myself because I'm sitting in front of a microphone when I shouldn't be in front of a microphone because my brain's not working the way it's supposed to be working, but I don't want that to control. Like all the issues. I think it's better to be real and honest than to pretend. But I think it takes a lot for the, the, to say that the poor should not, and again, going from the definition of the word repine, that we should not feel or express discontent. We should not fret. And the reason why is because we know God in his infinite wisdom, God has more wisdom than I have. He's appointed it and is able to render it the greatest blessing. God's chosen are generally found among the poor. Not that he chose them because they were poor, but choosing them in Christ, he appointed poverty as the best thing for them. 
Now, that's hard to comprehend, right? God appointed your poverty because that's the best thing for you. Now, best thing for you, not from maybe a materialistic or human perspective, but the best thing for me, spiritually speaking. Now, this is where am I willing to accept whatever God gives me as what he thinks is best for me spiritually. I may not, I may disagree. (laughs) I may disagree. Again, I think we should be willing to be able to acknowledge that disagreement. God's enemies have their full portion in this life. Here they have their good things. Not so with God's children. Here on earth, they have their evil things and their best things are yet to come. All right. I don't know if that's completely accurate. I think many of God's children have lots of wonderful things on earth, but I think we can say it this way. For God's children, what we have here on earth is the worst it's ever going to be for us. I don't know what your life is like tonight. I don't know what it's like, but this is the worst it's ever going to be for you. For a non-believer, this is the best it's ever going to be. For the for the for the non-believer, this is the best life they're ever going to have. For the Christian, this is as worst as it's ever going. This is as bad as it's ever going to be because after this life, then it's eternal glory forever. See, for the lost person, this is as great as it's ever going to be because after life, it's pain, suffering, and torment. For the Christian, this is as bad as it's ever going to be because when it's over, there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death, no more sin, eternal glory. I do think that that is a major thing to consider in this life. Then he goes on to do this, and this is kind of like he's just going to throw out a lot of things. The poor Christian, this is what the poor Christian has, a rich father in whom to trust. Now, at no point does he say that rich father is going to necessarily give me out of my poverty, but I do have a rich father. The fullness of Jesus to supply him. Now, when it says the fullness of Jesus to supply him, I'm assuming to supply him in what way? Because again, we've had, we know Christians in many parts of the country, freeze to death, starve to death, die. So the fullness of Jesus to supply me with all spiritual blessings, the precious promises on which to depend, the Holy Spirit to be his comforter, and a glorious inheritance to anticipate and forever dwell in. All Christians are heirs of the kingdom, the kingdom of grace here and of glory hereafter, the kingdom in which Jesus will reign, the kingdom where they will be princes, yes, Kings and priests, the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Now, that is true. I do know as a Christian that, hey, I have Christ. I do have the Holy Spirit. I do know that I have been blessed with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places. I do know my sins have been forgiven. I know the imputed righteousness of Christ has been accredited in my account. So there is plenty that no matter how poor that I am, I can cling to these spiritual realities. And and I and I keep drawing this distinction. On one way, positionally, I can say it is well with my soul. Positionally, I can say, Christ, you're all I need positionally, once again, I draw this massive distinction between positional reality and practical reality, but the practical reality, I can be like, wait, I'm, I I need this and I need this. And I, I'm so discontent and I'm discouraged. And, and, but I think we need to be able to acknowledge what we're feeling practically. At the same time, we need to focus on what is true positionally. It says, my poor brother, my poor sister, look up, look forward. Your cottage will soon be exchanged for a mansion. Your sickness will soon be exchanged for health. 
Your poverty will soon be exchanged for wealth. Your sin will soon be exchanged for perfect holiness. Your earth will soon be exchanged for heaven. You will not always be poor. You will not be poor for long. Jesus will soon come and then you will reign with him. For you, an inheritance is reserved in heaven. For you, a mansion is being prepared. For you, glory, honor, immortality, even eternal life are are in reserve. And that's James Smith from the 1800s. Draw me closer, Lord. Can I say, Lord, you're all I want and you're all I need? Maybe there's a way we can, but it's because of the positional reality. It's because of the eternal things that are waiting for me. There's a sense where I can say, God, you've given me all that I want and all that I need, spiritually speaking. But at the end, and I think this is the, the struggle that Christians have. We have a hard time acknowledging these two very different realities. Again, in Christ, in Christ, my position, I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. That is not true practically in any way, shape, or form. And many times Christians confuse that, right? It's not true practically. I'm a sinner with a sin nature that's not gone. Positionally, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm holy. I'm righteous. Practically, I'm a sinner who struggles, who falls, who never fulfills God's law. In Christ, I fulfill God's law perfectly. So I'm a saint and a sinner at the same time. This is this weird duality within the Christian life that sometimes when our preaching and teaching, we mix up this duality and confuse it. In Christ, he is everything I want. He is everything I need, spiritually speaking, because all of my spiritual needs have been met. My sin has been taken care of. The righteousness that I need, the law that I cannot keep has been kept from me. There, there, I mean, I'm guaranteed an eternal life. I'm guaranteed a new body. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a son of God. I'm a, a co-heir with him. So positionally, I can say that. So it depends on what we mean when we say, you're all that I want and you're all that I need. If I'm really focused on the, the positional reality, but so many times Christians say these things demanding for this to be the way we look at our practical life. See, when it comes to my soul spiritually, positionally, I can say it as well with my soul. But if I'm trying to convince myself that that's how I feel about my practical life, if I'm trying to convince myself, hey, my four daughters went down in a shipwreck, my wife is the sole survivor, hey, it is well with my soul, I can try to say that all day. But if it's not well, I need to be able to struggle and say it's not well with my soul as far as this situation is concerned. We need we need a place where we can express our lament, our pain. We should be able to scream out our spiritual pain and not be viewed as having a little faith. I think those who can scream out their spiritual pain, articulate it and acknowledge it, have more faith than those who are pretending everything is well. And listen, a lot of times when you're saying all is well in like 18... 76 or, you know, or somewhere around that time, by the time you get to 1881, well, now you've lost your mind and you think you're the second Messiah. That That's what can happen. I'm not saying, we don't know exactly what caused his mental health issues, but if, if those historical accounts are right, something went horribly, horribly wrong.
It is well with my soul. As far as my position in Christ is, it is perfectly well. As a poor Christian, absolutely. I need to understand that even from a practical standpoint, it's been appointed unto me, but it's been appointed unto me for my, supposedly, maybe for my spiritual well-being, whatever the reason may be. But what I need to look to is what I have in Christ. In Christ, perfect, holy, righteous. But I, I, but at the same time, I think I can express. See, I don't think you can say you can't express. In Christ, I'm content because I know spiritually I'm taken care of. But in this life, should we? I, I think it's required. I think it's absolutely necessary. I think it's absolutely needful that we can say it's not. It's not good right now. It's not good right now. I need. I need this, and I want this, and I, and 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 we able to express it. I think sometimes we mix this up in a way where, hey, 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 you're supposed to be telling God that he's all that you want, all that you need. You should be good to go. You should be happy. You should be happy. You should be content. Now, I, th- I understand that there's a call for that, but I think at the same time, there, there needs to be like, but you can express when you're not. That's, I guess what, that's all of today's focus. I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out exactly how that works. What's your thoughts? Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. What do you think about that devotional from the 1800s? What do you think about James 2.5? I do agree that as a Christian, now I don't think we're ever going to do this, but we do and should care more about our spiritual condition and our spiritual state than we do the material existence that we have in this. Like, like we should care more about what, what's best for me spiritually, not what's best for me material. We should. Now, we're never going to accomplish that because we, we're, well, we have a sinful nature. We have a flesh. And that flesh cares about the material more than the spiritual. And to say that we don't is a lie. But we, we can strive to go, no, 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 Lord, Whatever is best for your glory, your honor, and better for me spiritually, that's what I want in my life. Not what I want. What you think I need for your glory, your honor, and my spiritual growth. That's what I should long for in theory. I know I don't, but that's what we should. Right, newsif at yahoo.com. I'm thinking of some other connections, but that's okay. Just leave it there. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And this concludes a special episode of the Today's Focus podcast series where I try to give you one thing to focus on. And sometimes that one thing keeps me focusing, well, even when it gets late in the evening, like 10.33 p.m. Central Time, I still don't know I have all the answers But now I've handed it to you. So maybe you'll think about this tonight. Maybe you'll think about it tomorrow. Love to get your thoughts. But this is today's focus. 
for Wednesday, February the 1st, 2023.